You're listening to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast, hosted by Dr. Bill Goodnight and Dr. Chris Robinson. Each month, we take an in-depth look at a paper published in the American Journal of Perinatology. I want to thank our listeners for joining us today for the American Journal of Perinatology podcast series. Today we have the opportunity to discuss the manuscript entitled, The Potential Role for Myonositol in the Prevention of Gestational Diabetes Mellitus. Our authors are Erica Werner and Rosemary Froelich from the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the Alpert School of Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Today we will have Dr. Erica Werner joining us to discuss her manuscript. She is a maternal fetal medicine physician as well as clinical researcher. She has published widely on cost-effectiveness, and her research focuses on diabetes and pregnancy, preeclampsia, and preterm birth. She is particularly interested in using pregnancy to identify long-term maternal health risks and then optimizing maternal health through postpartum interventions. She has a pending protocol, myoinositol, to prevent gestational diabetes mellitus. She is also actively involved in the NICHD-funded Maternal Fetal Medicine Units Network. We are fortunate to have Dr. Werner with us today to further discuss this potential role for myoinositol in the prevention of gestational diabetes, and we thank her for joining us. Thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the article. Well, we are as well. Certainly, gestational diabetes is a very common condition in pregnancy. And when looking at gestational diabetes, what do you think are the unmet needs that we currently have with regard to gestational diabetes management? So I think the largest need comes in relation to this article comes in preventing gestational diabetes. You know, we just heard yesterday from the CDC that more than four out of 10 women are obese going into pregnancy, which means that their risk of developing gestational diabetes off the bat is close to 12%. Um, and other than diet and exercise, which women have trouble with, we have nothing to offer to prevent gestational diabetes. So I think that's the first met need. And then the second is I think we're still really struggling with what the best treatment is for gestational diabetes, how much treatment we need to prevent the complications, and how much just drives up cost without actually preventing the complications. Absolutely. And I think over the past week, we've also seen some data come out looking at obesity and the rapid increase in obesity in this country amongst women who are of childbearing age. And so I think we can also definitely see some significant benefits, I would assume, in cost controls for management of pregnancy, and especially in this group who are already at an increased risk due to their obesity. Absolutely. So what led you to interest in myoinositol? because this is certainly very unique. And I wonder if you just take just a few minutes to tell us a little bit about myoinositol and what led you to look at this specifically. I've always been really interested in the cost of the healthcare that we provide. And both at Hopkins, where I was before, and then here at Brown, I run a nutrition and pregnancy clinic that sort of helps women who are obese to limit their gestational weight gain. And when I was gearing up to start that at Brown, I was talking to Don Kustin, I think one of the grandfathers of gestational diabetes. And he gave me an article that he had written recently on prevention of gestational diabetes. And it referenced some of the recent data on myonositol. 
all. And then I just I couldn't get it off. I started reading more and more uh, and trying to understand the biologic background for it and talking to some mentors from where I went to medical school and realized there are many things being investigated to prevent gestational diabetes, but most of them really haven't panned out. Um, and this is one that's been in the literature for almost two decades, and yet we still don't have a well-done, large, randomized trial. You know, I've always been bothered by how slow OB research is, so I think this is just a perfect fit. That's an excellent point. Now, where are the natural sources that a person would have myo-inositol in their diet? I mean, is this something that we would find in the diet of most patients, or is this something that would be taken as a supplement? It's definitely in the diet. It's very variable in how much women take in. So you can get a lot in beans, in some meats, and in some cereals, a fair number of vegetables. But we also make it. We make about two grams a day from each of our kidneys. It's kind of all over the place. But nonetheless, as women get more and more obese, there seems to be some indication biologically that we don't have enough. And we see that in sort of the byproducts of inositol when we look at women's urine. So one of the hypotheses that is presented in your article suggests that this may have an insulin mimetic property that leads to an increased expression of GLUT4, which is one of the glucose transporters that we find both in the placenta as well as in peripheral muscle. What's the evidence for how myo-inositol may actually improve outcomes? Unfortunately, the data that is out there is mostly animal data. The etiology is not as well worked out as we would like, which I think has been some of the reason why the clinical data has been somewhat lacking. But essentially, it's thought that myo-inositol combines to form inositol phosphoglycan AMP kinase inhibitor, and that that decreases camp-dependent protein kinases, which eventually leads to more fatty acid synthesis. So that's sort of one pathway that it's thought that myonositol may decrease glucose. Then the other is, as you said, not, by increasing GLUT4 translocation, but it's not real clear how the myonositol directly affects GLUT4 translocation. It's just they've seen in vivo that if you give animals myonositol, you have more GLUT4 translocation and more glucose driven into the cells, but the exact pathway for that hasn't been well delineated. Let's move to the clinical situation. So a lot of practicing obstetricians would certainly wonder, what are the impacts of myo-inositol on the patient? So the patient that they're taking care of that may be obese or, or maybe even the patient with gestational diabetes, what evidence do we have for the impact that myo-inositol may play in their pregnancy? Right now, there are five and counting small randomized control trials in all different populations of women. So in thin women who have family members with type 2 diabetes, women with BMI between 25 and 30, and women with a BMI greater than 30, and all of these small randomized control trials suggest that myo-inositol reduces the risk of a woman developing gestational diabetes at 24 to 28 weeks by more than 50%. What's really not well quantified is how it will affect other pregnancy outcomes. There's a little bit of evidence that it will reduce her risk of developing hypertensive disorders of pregnancy, a little bit of evidence that it will reduce the risk maybe of preterm birth. The data is mixed on whether birth weight is affected or not. 
But the main thing that all of these studies show, as well as the many studies in polycystic ovarian syndrome, is that it's safe. There doesn't seem to be a significant side effect profile from myonostatol, as opposed to something like metformin, which has you know, more significant side effects. One of the things that you discuss is disease modification. And in these patients, one of the more powerful things I think a lot of practicing obstetricians would be interested in is it seemed like in one of these studies there was a significant decline in those patients who tested positive for gestational diabetes if they had been pretreated with myo-inositol, in other words, maybe supplemented during their pregnancy coming forward compared to those who did not. So do you think there's a role here for potentially modifying the risk of gestational diabetes amongst some of our patients? Yeah, I definitely do. I think the study you're referring to actually took women who had a slightly elevated fasting glucose early on. You know, the women who were screened prior to 20 weeks and have some evidence of gestational diabetes, those women were placed on myonostatol, and actually only less than 20% of them ended up developing gestational diabetes when they were retested at 24 to 28 weeks, as opposed to the women who were on placebo, and more than 70% of them had gestational diabetes. Also, since I published the article, there was another small trial that came out suggesting similar results, that women who have some insulin resistance noted early in pregnancy who received myo-inositol significantly reduced their risk of developing gestational diabetes. I think myo-inositol may be the supplement that we need to go along with diet and exercise to help women modify their gestational diabetes risk. That's very important, very important observation. I wonder if you have any sense when supplementing with myo-inositol, is there any change that is made in the diet of these patients? In other words, is it possible that myo-inositol also has any controls over satiety or dietary intake? Or is there any modification there that we get a sense of? That's a great question. It hasn't been very well looked at. There's a lot of mice data and a little bit of rabbit data suggesting that animal intake when they're given large doses of myo-inositol is the same as mice or rabbits who get placebo. In humans, the main data we have is their weight gain, and despite you know, my hope that myo-inositol would be a magic bullet to help pregnant women with their gestational weight gain. Women on myo-inositol tend to gain about the same amount as women who are getting placebo, suggesting that it really doesn't change, you know, oral intake. But nobody's really quantified the calories that a woman takes in or her appetite on myo-inositol versus placebo. Sure. So do we have any data looking at the infants who have been born and exposed to myo-inositol, are there any benefits of myo-inositol for the infant or any risks that may be associated? That was one of the things that drew me to this. You know, my hope is, since we know gestational diabetes ultimately puts the next generation at risk for obesity, so women with gestational diabetes are more likely to have children who are obese, my hope is that myo-inositol would affect fetal programming and remove that risk for children. Um, and there is some good evidence that myo-inositol reduces adiponectins and therefore theoretically may reduce the risk of lifelong obesity for the next generation. But in terms of birth weight, which is the main thing measured in these small randomized control trials, 
Some suggest a decrease in birth weight percentile. So instead of having an average birth weight percentile that's above 50%, the kids are born with birth weight percentiles that are below 50%, but still in the safe range, typically in the 40th percentile. But other studies have looked specifically at macrosomia or large for gestational age infants and haven't found a significant reduction with myonositol. But again, all the studies that have been done are really underpowered to assess for those sorts of things. I'm pretty certain this will be underpowered as well. Is there any sense that this could also be a modify the risk of cesarean delivery in some of our patients at highest risk for high birth weight infants or gestational yeah. diabetes? There was a Cochrane review looking at myonositol versus placebo to prevent gestational diabetes. And one of the secondary outcomes they looked at was cesarean delivery. And the trend is definitely towards cesarean delivery being reduced with myonositol, but the numbers are too close. It was not statistically significant. When we looked at power calculation, you really need a study in excess of 1,000 people to be able to make any significant statement about whether myonositol reduces the risk of cesarean delivery. So from the standpoint of when we look at population health and we want to potentially make an impact to a large population, we also have to examine the cost of the intervention. So when we talk about supplementing individuals myo-inositol, what would be the cost of supplementation in you know a large population? And does it require refrigeration? Is it easily obtained in other countries with low health care resources? You can get myo-inositol online. It's a powder. You can dissolve it in juice. They also make tablets. It's about 50 bucks a month if you buy it commercially, and patients use it for PCOS, sort of off-label. I would equate it to like taking a baby aspirin to prevent preeclampsia or folic acid to prevent neural tube defects. For a woman to take it for the length of her pregnancy, even if she pays for it on her own, is probably a about $300, but if you compare that to the thousands of dollars that we spend for each patient diagnosed with gestational diabetes, and then if you take an obese population where the risk of gestational diabetes is more than 10%, it would be cost-effective to treat 10 women with myo-inositol to prevent one case of gestational diabetes. You know, with gestational diabetes, there's more frequent doctor visits, there's extra ultrasounds, there's extra NSTs, all of which make the care of one gestational diabetic patient well into the thousands. And when you add in the neonatal complications, we're quickly into the 10,000s. So medication or a supplement actually is inexpensive as myo-inositol definitely cost-effective on a population level. And that's if we pay commercial rates, obviously. I think if this became a more well-studied supplement, pharmaceutical companies making it for less. So we're also coming off of a very interesting time point in the history of gestational diabetes where we have the completion of the hypoglycemia and adverse pregnancy outcomes trial and the network has also sponsored a special consensus panel who have published recommendations in gestational diabetes as well as outlining future concerns. And one of the things that we look at when we look at gestational diabetes, this is a very costly and it's also a very common condition, one that which we anticipate will increase as we see more and more obesity. But your paper references up to $636 million spent in 2007 on gestational diabetes and we can only imagine that that number has increased substantially since then. 
So when looking at this intervention, it does appear that this is shows some significant promise. Also, is not significantly expensive potentially in the prevention of gestational diabetes. What do you think are the next steps? I mean, what is it that needs to occur to move us beyond the potential role to really understand what are the potential outcomes and benefits of myo-inositol at this point? We really need a large U.S.-based, well-done, randomized, controlled, blinded trial. The studies that have been done are small, and they're mostly in a Caucasian population. They're mostly using the IADPSG guidelines for gestational diabetes diagnosis. So we really need a U.S. trial, and I would advocate that this trial be large enough to look at all the secondary outcomes that we've talked about, cesarean delivery, preterm birth, hypertension, and be a large enough population that it's it's generalizable, so you need multiple centers so that your population is diverse geographically, ethnically, and in terms of practice style as well. Absolutely, and it sounds like this is one of the roles for the MFMU networks. This would be a perfect type study for really a very high impact trial that could really change the way we manage gestational diabetes as well as prevent cases into the future. So I want to thank you for taking time out to speak with us today. This is a very interesting manuscript and we look forward to following it further. Thank you so much. I enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. And I want to thank our listeners for joining us this month. I want to remind you that the article, The Potential Role for Myo-Inositol in the of Gestational Diabetes Mellitus, is freely accessible at the American Journal of Perinatology website, along with this podcast that can be accessed via the website or Apple iTunes on the iTunes store, where you can subscribe to the podcast on a monthly basis. We look forward to seeing you again next month when we join another author to discuss their research. And thank you again for taking time out of your day to spend time with the American Journal of Perinatology. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP. Or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com AMJ Perinatology. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes and join us next month when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Perinatology.